You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Good morning and Happy New Year. Uh, First off, I want to um, say my utter disappointment in the majority of you because it is pajama jam weekend. I got a couple of my mommies up here that are representing. Um, I had every intention of wearing pajamas today. And then Chip calls and says, do you want to do the message on the 31st? And I almost turned him down because I'm like, it's pajama jam weekend. Like, are you kidding me? But then the spirit like got a hold of me and so here I am and I would rather have my pajamas on though, to be honest with you, so. Um, my husband Ryan and I, we've been married for 17 years. Thank you, thank you. Um, and our first house, we had a little house on the east side of town and in our kitchen there was a ceramic plaque And it was really colorful and it had kind of like wildflowers in the background. And in big, bold, black print, it said, his mercy is new every morning. And I have not seen that plaque for years, to be honest with you. Um, One, it was ceramic, okay? And since that time, we've had three young boys. So the Lord only knows where it is. However, that message is still so ingrained in my heart because every time I would walk into my kitchen, I would see that scripture. Now, I've mentioned I have three boys, okay? And over the course of the last 11 years, I'm sure it doesn't surprise you if I say that some days have been harder than others, right? And there have been some occasions when about five or six o'clock, I have had to look my little boys in their baby blue eyes and say, buddy, it's time for you to go to bed, okay? They don't typically go to bed at five or six o'clock in the evening, but those nights they are, okay? Now, sometimes, and more often than not, right, it's not their fault. Maybe we've just had a busy day. Maybe we've had a lot of activities going on. Sometimes it's been a really emotional day, right? Like mentally taxing, and that just makes you tired. But some days, the rarest of occasions, um, because of maybe certain behavior or some disobedience in there, by five or six o'clock, me and Ryan are like, okay, we're sticking a fork in it. Like, we'll start over tomorrow, okay? And in those evenings, when we're doing our nighttime prayer, we always thank God for our day. But we also thank him for the new opportunities that come tomorrow. We thank him for the new choices and the new chances that come with the morning. Now, in reality, more often than anything, it's me that comes home about five or six o'clock in the evening, and I look my husband in his baby blues, and I say, babe, I'm taking a bath, I'm getting in my pajamas, and I'm putting myself to bed. 
And again, it's not always my fault necessarily, right? Um, I was trying to, I was like asking God, what's a good illustration for this? And perhaps you can relate, but sometimes I feel like I'm in the eye of a storm. And I see all of these situations, people that I love, okay, who, um, you know, like maybe, maybe addiction, um, um, just emotional trauma, um, sickness in their families, families being torn apart, people, people and situations that are just outside of my control and there's nothing I can do about it. And I feel like I'm in the eye of a storm and all of these things are swarming around me. But sometimes I'm the storm. And sometimes it's me and I can see the events of my day and the interactions that I've had and the choices that I have made and I can see this aftermath of destruction following me wherever I go. And by five or six, five or six o'clock in those evenings, the Lord's grabbed a hold of me and says, Elizabeth, nothing else positive is going to happen for you today. So just like you were four, just like your four-year-old, you need to put yourself to bed, okay? And on those evening, it's that scripture that I hold true to for the next day, that tomorrow his mercy will be new. And I thank him for it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. And we thank you that it teaches us about your character and your love for us. Father, we're asking that we learn something new about you today. Lord, reveal it to us individually, whatever we may need. But Lord, I ask as corporately as a group, Father, that we walk out of this place different than we walked in. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor ahead of time. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this phrase, his mercy is new every morning, comes from a little nugget of scripture in the book of Lamentations. And I don't know how familiar you are with that book, um, but it's a small book of poetry that's found in the books of the prophets in the Old Testament. And it doesn't state directly who wrote Lamentations. However, most theologians believe that it was the prophet Jeremiah. And there's a couple reasons for that. First off, um, Lamentations as a whole, is, it's beautifully written. Okay, and in the Hebrew language specifically, it's very intentional, and um, it's actually in, in a poem form, okay? And um, somebody who would have been well-spoken, um, well-versed, well-written, would have wrote it, okay? So Jeremiah was certainly those things. Also, um, the Lamentations book, it talks about the fall of Jerusalem, so it would have had to have been someone who um, 
experienced that. And so Jeremiah also fits that bill. So to me, it makes sense that Jeremiah is its author. Now, I called our scripture for today, uh, which is Lamentations 3, 21 through 24, a golden nugget because it's a small glimmer of hope in what otherwise would be considered a dark and dismal account in Jewish history. So if you know me personally, um, I joke a lot that I live in cupcake and lollipop world. Okay, and the reason for that is because ever since I gave my life to Jesus, I kind of have like this overabundance of optimism, um, and it's kind of annoying actually because I can kind of take any situation and I can sort of see like the positives or um, you know just like you know I can see the potential in it. I guess I should say, and it's a real talent actually, and. Um, but even for me, like the book of Lamentations is a real downer, okay? It's, it's hard to see a lot of positives. But here's this just golden nugget smack dab in the middle of it. There's two and a half chapters before it and two and a half chapters after it. And um, it's just, it's amazing. Lamentations is made up of five chapters. It's a very small book. And it has five psalms or five songs. That's a part of it. And its author, who we're assuming is Jeremiah, describes the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Holy Temple, which dates it about 586 B.C., See, King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to the city. The Babylonian army camped outside of the city, and he caused a major severe famine for the people within the city walls. They broke into the walls. They took the king, Zedekiah, hostage. They murdered his sons in front of him. They murdered his army officers, and then they blinded him, and they threw him in prison. Not long after that, they set fire to the temple, the royal palace, and any homes within the city gates. Anything of value was ransacked and stolen and many people died during that time. At that point, the city walls were brought down completely and everything was burnt to the ground. Anyone of authority or prominence that happened to still be alive was exiled to Babylon, which was about 4,000 people misplaced from their home. But the commander left the poorest of the people behind as slaves to continue working the fields and the vineyards. Of course, for the betterment of Babylon, right? Not themselves. So that's the lament or the sorrow that the book of Lamentations is recording. It's not necessarily the facts of those things, but it's the emotion, it's the heartache of that experience. 
And of course, I'm explaining this in a paragraph, right? But this was not an overnight siege. This was months and months of heartache and chaos. It was hard. And life for God's people in this time was hardly cupcakes and lollipops. And so you may ask, well, why would God allow his city to be destroyed? Why would he allow his temple where people worshiped him to be destroyed? And I think that's a valid question. But that's where Jeremiah comes to play. See, Jeremiah was not a popular prophet. God used him to speak truth, God's truth, to the people of Judea. But they refused to listen. He wasn't telling people what they wanted to hear. He wasn't saying niceties to keep the money rolling in. He didn't ignore immorality or their sinful behavior. See, Jeremiah, he called out the false prophets of his day, those who worshiped false idols right outside the city walls, and those who were socially unjust to the widows and the orphans and the poor. Jeremiah took sin seriously because he took God's righteousness seriously. See, he wasn't coming from the heart of, of a judger. That was God's job, okay? He understood the holiness of God. See, Jeremiah had never been married. He didn't have any children. His primary purpose and focus in life was to serve his God. And their relationship was so intimate that he did whatever God asked him to do no matter what the people did to him. He was beaten, he was shackled, he was embarrassed, he was ridiculed, he was thrown in a cistern, but he was completely devoted to God's work. Jeremiah understood that God's righteousness and sovereignty would always prevail. Therefore, as we read this book of the Bible, we experience this tension of someone who loves their city and is so sad about the destruction of it, but he also accepts and acknowledges that the people of that city would not listen. God, or Jeremiah tried to tell them but they were disobedient, and because of that, they were outside of God's protection and favor. And Babylonia took, um, they took it over. So smack dab in the middle of Lamentations lies our verses for today. Chapter three, verses 21 through 24. And this is coming from the NRSV version, okay? So let's read it together. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great. Did I say that? They are new every morning, sorry. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. 
therefore I will hope in him. So let's break this down and consider what the Spirit has for us today. And I can see, I can picture Jeremiah kind of taking this account of his experience and in this destruction that he's walking around in, in this chaos, it's like he takes a moment and he says, look at this very first line, it says, but this I call to mind. It's like he's choosing to remember. He chooses to remember. And therefore, I have hope. See, the memories that are coming to his mind in that time are lending him the hope he needs for the moment. See, there's no denying the terrible consequences of Jerusalem's devastation. But there's also no denying that Yahweh, or the word for God in the Old Testament, had redeemed Israel from terrible situations time and time again. See, dating all the way back to the times of Moses, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness so easily for God forgot God's constant provision and care of them. If they were hungry, he gave them manna. They were thirsty, he had water come out of a rock. Who does that? Okay, no one else can do that. If they needed something, he gave them what they needed. He was always faithful and he always provided. And Jeremiah knew that. And so he was choosing to trust God's track record. His undeniable, undisputed track record. And it gave him hope in the chaos. So the next verse, um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now, in the original language, this word that they use for love here is hased, which really means a covenantal love. And when we think of covenant, I want you to think of a promise, but not just a pinky promise, okay? This is like a real promise. This is a promise of forever agreement that is binding the creator of the universe to his creation. And to me, I think of a covenantal love as he isn't going anywhere. He isn't going anywhere. We can kick and we can scream and we can throw a holy tantrum. And just like a mature earthly father, he's going to wait for you to get done. And he's going to say, you about done? And then he's going to pick you up. He's going to dust you off. And he's going to be present in the situation with you. He doesn't stop loving us. The steadfast love of Lord never ceases. He isn't going anywhere. The next line, his mercies never come to an end. This last part of the line where it says to an end, let me finish reading that, hold on. His mercies never come to an end, they are new every morning, okay? So the to an end is another Hebrew word, kala. Now kala means to complete or to finish, finite, okay? 
But in this case, there is a never before it. So his mercies, or other translations might say compassion, never finish. They are never complete. We cannot exhaust them. Because tomorrow, guess what? They're going to be new again. So what's this mean for us? So the word, God's word, says this. Yahweh's hased never ceases. In his mercies, never kalah, they are new every morning. So since that is true, regardless of how often we rely on God's compassion, there will be more tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but I need every piece of it. Now, this is not a license to sin freely, okay? And thinking that God's mercy will cover you regardless of your choices, that's missing the point. And if you're having problems kind of seeing that distinction, I want you to call me this week and let's go get a cup of coffee, okay? Because I, I don't want you walking away thinking that that's what I'm saying because it's not. We have a responsibility here. Okay, but we do serve a holy God. Um, I, I'm a teacher at, um, I teach um, LifeWise for Allen East School District. And one of the very first memory verses that we teach is, I am Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. So you must be holy because I am holy Leviticus 11.45, okay? That was the truth in Leviticus. That is the truth today, okay? And so when we give our hearts to Jesus, we are called to holy living. Becoming Christ-like is our goal. However, some days are gonna look more like Jesus than others, okay? And we're learning from Jeremiah that we have the opportunity to return to God even after we screw up. Woo, praise the Lord. We can always return. We can always repent. We can always turn against our wicked ways and follow him. That option is always available and it's never too late because we cannot exhaust his mercy. The next line is, great is your faithfulness. We receive mercy and compassion not because we are faithful. We receive mercy and compassion because he is faithful. It's his faithfulness to his promise, his love for us, that allows us to receive his mercy. These pages are full of account after account after account of God's faithfulness. This room is full of account after account after account of God's faithfulness. If you have experienced God's faithfulness in your life, raise your hand. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. 
right? Now, if you maybe, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, okay, or if maybe you're just questioning what I'm saying, I want you to seek someone out that just raised their hand. Because we have testimony that comes to show that God's goodness and his faithfulness is for you. I got off my notes. Hold on a minute. Lastly, the last line of this is, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You know, I mentioned Moses earlier. There's a chapter in the book of Numbers where God is giving instructions um, to Moses in order to divide the 12 tri- or to divide land amongst the 12 tribes. And Aaron, who was Moses' kind of helper and also the priest to the people, this is what the Lord tells Aaron. You shall have no allotment in their land, nor shall you have any share among them. I am your share and your possession among the Israelites. See, God wanted Aaron and his sons to be solely reliant on him. And this sets the stage for God's people, his chosen priesthood, us, okay, to see the Lord as our portion and seeing him as sufficient in all things. If we have nothing of value, no possessions or property, no status or salary, if we have him, that's enough. He's the greatest prize, the greatest reward. And even in the aftermath of destruction, whether consequences from our own sins or others around us, we can take our portion, okay, our share, our allotment of God's love, his compassion, and his mercy, and we can take it straight to the bank because it is of infinite value. Our hope lies in him. So just a final thought. One of the commentaries I studied this week ended its examination of lamentations with these words. Like repentance, hope is veiled in lamentations, but it is to be found primarily in the character of God rather than human repentance or other activity. His faithfulness is great. His compassions are new, yet the book ends unsure unsure whether hope or despair will have the last word. And I read that, and I thought to myself, self, I, that's just an interesting way to end. Because here we've built up this hope, right? We've built up this, um, the fact that God has a covenantal love for us, that he has an unending compassion, and that his faithfulness is great, and we're unsure who has the last word. But then it hit me. Because we've learned today that we choose to remember. 
We choose to remember God's promises to us, but we also choose to live in those promises. His love isn't going anywhere. And his mercies can't be exhausted. We can count on a fresh portion tomorrow, and his faithfulness is great. It's not God's character that's in question. It's ours. See, that commentary noticed that Jeremiah ends the book of Lamentations questioning the response of man. He's unsure whether man will continue to live in their sinful ways, causing destruction around them. Or will they turn and accept the mercy that God so freely offers us each morning? So Tova's going to come up, and she's going to bless us with a hymnal favorite this morning. And we're going to take just the next couple of minutes to respond. You know, it's been a busy week, right? And we're kind of, you know, wrapping the, the Christmas holiday up with a bow. And we're stepping into the new year. And let's just take a minute. And let's just ask the Spirit how he wants us to respond today. The altars are open if anyone would like to come forward. Um, you may pray together in your, as families if you would like to. You can pray with a, with a nearby friend or you can just sit quietly and just talk to him yourself, right? I'm just at, no response is wrong. I'm just asking you to be sensitive and obedient to the spirit. And I don't know what 2023 looked like for you. But here in modern day Lima, I doubt you found yourself in literal ruins of your homeland. However, you could think of yourself in emotional ruin. You could think of yourself in financial ruin or relational ruin. You could be in the eye of the storm and stuck in this aftermath and destruction of other people's choices and other people's addictions and other people's bad decisions. And you could also be the storm. In any case, the word tells us that God loves you with a covenantal, not going anywhere love. His mercy cannot be exhausted. They will be new in the morning and his faithfulness is so great.
Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the year that we've had. We thank you for the blessings that you bestowed upon us. We thank you for the lessons learned. We thank you that it's over. And that new mercy is waiting on us tomorrow. Not because it's Monday, and not because it's January 1st, and not because it's New Year's Day. Your mercy is new each day. Only you can do that. And so we praise you for it. We thank you for the covenantal love you have for us that is not leaving. We thank you for the mercy that cannot be used up. And we thank you for your faithfulness that is so great. Lord, I pray that those promises go from our head to our heart and from our heart to our hands. God, we thank you today on this New Year's Day. We ask for blessings for 2024. We pray for blessing. We pray for provision. We pray for favor. But we also come acknowledging that you are enough and that you're all we need and that you're the greatest prize and the greatest reward. And if we have nothing else but you, you are our portion and our hope will remain there. So Lord, thank you for these people that I love, but you love so much more. I ask for your hedge of protection around them, and we thank you for a great new year. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Happy New Year. We love you. Mwah. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.